<laughs> Quit out, Ghost Island Media. Hey guys, it's Nature Nate. Before we start the episode, just wanted to say I hope you're all well. I hope you're safe. We wanted to share a little bit more about our sponsor who's trying to help the world right now with their work. This pandemic has affected everyone. To get through this, we all need to work together. Cypress River Advisors, with their deep cross-border sourcing and manufacturing knowledge, are providing PPEs for free to medical professionals and communities in need. They're providing protective equipment in New York, California, Michigan, and Japan. They're also providing data visualizations to help make policymakers and the public understand the real impacts of the pandemic. For more information, go to cypressriveradvisors.com slash COVID-19. All right, now on to the episode. Hi, I'm Nature Nate, and uh, do you ever wonder where food comes from? (laughs) I didn't, but you should. And we had a rare opportunity to visit a company that designs food in the Silicon Valley. But don't worry, it's not an app company, but they do make appetizers. (laughs) Ha 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 ha! Okay, but seriously, we had a special opportunity to visit Matson, a food ODM company. And if you don't know what ODM means, you must not be from Taiwan. An ODM is an original design manufacturer. These are companies that design and manufacture something to a different company's specifications, which is later rebranded under that client company. That's right, not all the food with a brand or a label is designed in-house. Just because you go to Wendy's doesn't mean that the chicken tenders from Wendy's are designed by Wendy. They use companies like Matson to help them innovate. Matson is a Silicon Valley based food and beverage insights, strategy, innovation, and development firm. When we went to Matson, we were lucky to have two of their team members, Al and Maddie, to take us around the company. I am Madison Garola, and I am a product development technician here at Matson, which means I work in the lab developing new products. My name is Al Banish. I'm Executive Vice President, New Product Strategy and Insights at Matson. We're going to start this episode with a tour around the factory. That's where all the food magic happens. Then we're going to sit down in Matson's office to talk about meat alternatives, food waste solutions, packaging, and, you know, other stuff about food. And since Matson has designed so many different food products, we might have accidentally mentioned a few of those product names on tour, and we're going to beep it out. Why do we beep it out? Well, this is something that we are super familiar with here in Taiwan. You think Apple makes computers? <laughs> no, that's some ODM factory out there. And just like those in Taiwan, if you're an ODM factory, you know, you gotta, you gotta be quiet. You can't just say everything. For example, you know the huge company Beep? Well, they are a huge textile company in Taiwan, and they make beep for beep. You might even be wearing beep, right? Beep. Beep. So why exactly are we at a secret food scientist laboratory that makes food for other companies? Well, for this episode, we wanted to talk with Maddie, who works at Matson, on what's it like to make food out of food waste and work on sustainability inside of an influential and big food company like this. That there's actually growing consumer preference also for sustainable foods and specifically upcycling and that consumers are also relying on manufacturers to take those changes. You know, she's trying to figure out how we can use food waste to make delicious and importantly desirable new types of food. If we can't solve food waste, we're going to have a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and we're going to have a lot of wasted pesticides and fertilizers and water. And Maddie's someone who's working on that. 
Okay, let's play the tape. This is Waste Not, Why Not, a podcast on sustainability and how not to save the environment. I'm an environmental researcher based in Taiwan, working on energy, ocean, and waste issues. Let's just dive right into the tour. Al and Maddie are going to take us through their food studios, their food lab, the analytics area, their experimental zones, and we're even going to visit the freezer. Right now, we're walking into the food studio, which is one of the most important parts of Matt's. No, stay here. Stay here. It's even better if there's, like, background noise. (laughs) So here we are in the food studio. And as I mentioned before, this is a a multi-purpose room here at Matt's, and it's the largest single room. Today, it's being set up for consumer research, where we'll have parents and children trying some new food products. So the food studio looks sort of like a combination of a TV cooking show, Iron Chef, if you will. Combined with an office meeting room. This meeting room, there's a large TV, there's a very large table, and there's an even larger island. It's more like a (laughs) continent. And then, of course, there's standard kitchen stuff and kitchen stuff that I don't really understand what it is, but it seems related to making food. Uh, You see some of the commercial cooking equipment as well. So oftentimes when we're presenting new product, new prototypes or something to clients, uh, we'll do that in this room. We do employee meetings in here, and we do employee interviewing in here as well. For some of the employees, they make food for their interviews. Yeah, so that's round three of our interview process. It is a chopped style competition where the interviewee makes a three-course meal for the executives of the company because, as our CEO says, you can graduate with high honors from any great school and get your food science degree, but sometimes that doesn't mean that you know how to make food that actually tastes good. So our final selection is going through and making sure that people can actually cook and we also get to see their personality and what kind of food they like making and how that carries through the dishes that they present. Right outside the studio was a wall full of different types of food from famous brands. These food displays that look like grocery store shelves laid out throughout their offices. So you will see throughout, Matson uh, examples of the, the foods and beverages that we've had a hand in, in formulating and commercializing. Like... There's chopped salad, taco shells. We can do that as we go. You'll see. You'll see. We have a lot more. This is a very small. This is just the the sampling, the the appetizer. (laughs) Appreciate that food pun. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna try and work them in. (laughs) Is there any particular product from this wall that you think is? Extra interesting? There's been a great deal of interest in plant-based alternatives to animal source products like milks and creamers and so forth formulated with with plants, with peas. And that one was also really exciting because we started out with them when the company was small and in the startup stage. And we got to see and help support some of their growth to the massive corporation that they are now. And how does Matson help these companies grow? Well, by coming up with new foods in their laboratory, of course... That's lab. We're looking inside of sort of what looks like an aquarium full of scientists. And they're all at their different workstations and they're mixing food and there's bags and there's spoons and there's weighing going on and a lot of science equipment. And in big letters in the back, it says, we make food happen. So this is a lab. You can see through this window half of the lab, essentially, and then there's another half behind the the other wall. When we designed this space, we intentionally created this, you know, fish tank window here to to see into the space where Matson does make food happen. 
but this is really the centerpiece. This is what we're proudest of here at Matson. Yeah, and what's really exciting here, um, I have a culinary background, so not only is everything on the scientific side, but we also have pretty much every culinary equipment piece that you could imagine to put to test our new creations and formulations and figuring out, hey, maybe a product that we thought was going to be great in the microwave, we actually want to test in a toaster oven, a normal oven, steam it, sous vide it, and what other ways can we play with this item to make it an optimal experience? Depending on the day, food engineers like Maddie can spend anywhere from four hours to ten hours inside these aquarium sort of fishbowl laboratories. Don't worry, they want to do that. You ready to go in? Yeah. Let's go into the lab. And one cool thing you'll see on the perimeter is we have cooking equipment. So you should look around and see all of the supplies that we have outside of just the lab benches here where we're always weighing items to make sure that we're being precise. And we have industrial ingredients so that we can take our bench top to scale up quickly. Because sometimes if you're using retail, that doesn't translate in a rapid way to final formulation. So we want to make sure in our bench top that we're already realizing those red flags and accommodating them from the beginning and making sure that our client can have a successful product from step one. To give you a sense of scale, there are about 25 food scientists with 40 different products going between the benches at all times. So we're all working on different projects. Each person will be working on potentially anywhere from four to eight projects at a time, depending on the intensity of the project. And you have multiple people normally working on the individual projects themselves. We also have great interns that help us execute on all of our projects. And like we said, we have specialists in all areas, whether it be candy making, high protein beverages, culinary forward items, or even upcycling and food waste products. So we have people that have had years of expertise and have been with the company, some of which over 20 years of just experience and bringing that knowledge to share with the rest of the scientists and developers around them. Let's move on to where Maddie works exactly. What is it like in the day of a food scientist? This is mine. As you can see, I apparently got a shipment earlier today. Um, And you'll find everything from serviceware from a meeting that we were running from earlier today to retail ingredients to other spices that we're sourcing. I always keep compostable items on my bench for tastings and throw them at other people around me. Um, And we'll just have a variety of tools and equipment. Everything around us is lined. So you can see by the four different types of coffee makers, all different grater sizes, three different kinds of ovens behind me, and we have more ovens on the other side of the lab. Um, Those two underneath the We Make Food Happen signs are massive freezers and refrigerators to keep all of our ingredients that we have. Would you like to walk in the freezer? (laughs) Yeah. Let's get real cold. Negative two. So here is our freezer. In which, yeah, <laughs> so you can also Emily's tell by how packed it is. We have a lot of projects happening right now. Um, yeah, this is where we store. This is one of our two freezers, actually. So this is a larger one, but we'll keep all of our items that we need in here. And then we have the same replication in refrigerators. Okay, it's a freezer. It's cold. I think I think listeners know what it looks like. All right. <laughs> We're not going to linger in there. (laughs) 
We then moved on to Matson's analytical area. Every good scientist needs a way to see what food really is, and that's by using scientific instruments. Not like a saxophone, silly. Like a microscope. So we do have a small analytical area where we can do TA, so titration acidities, um, weigh out components like when we're doing vitamin blends up to the thousandth or lower of a gram to make sure that we're portioning everything correctly. Um, bricks machines, water activities. So in the in the food lab, they are making different mixtures or blends or types of food. In the analytical area, they are analyzing the food that they made to determine its chemistry and its components. You know, what do you think a nutrition label is? You need to measure the amount of fats, calories, things like that. That's what happens in the analytical area. And that's the labby, the labby part of the lab, definitely. Yes. <laughs> and now we've walked into what looks like a grocery store aisle. So here, again, you'll see examples of Matson's work over the years. So behind me, you see some of the beverage. You'll see soups and, and side dishes here, condiments. You'll see some of the fresh produce work we've done, frozen foods, frozen dessert, frozen dinners, and so forth. Um, again, these go back, you know, 25 years. Some of them are, are new, and some uh, are oldies but goodies. The f***ing wine bag. <laughs> just just to reveal that recently. I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> I learned about that recently, that that actually took a lot of formulation work because it was one of the first bag-and-box wines, and they had added flavors for to get those nice woody notes that you would generally get from aging them in barrels. Way in the back on the shelf, I spied with my little eye a row of super famous, delicious, icy... Yeah, you don't see the box. I think Danica has that in the back. She's putting it in a case. But, uh, oh, 20, 26 or so years ago, Madsen worked with as they were opening new stores in the southern United States. And they figured it might be hard to sell hot coffee in Texas in the summer. Uh, so they sought to develop a, a beverage people would drink in the uh, hot times. And Madsen came up with... I guess some others that, that jump out... Assuming we can list these brand names later, some others that jump out are <laughs> tea, you know, tea, see a lot of major brands. I see a lot of stuff that I saw in the grocery store back when I was in the United States. <laughs> oh, in terms of waste, um, the one up there, you see the one that says queso dip. Uh, this is a, a company called <laughs> makes uh, Mexican style uh, cheese wheels. Matson had helped a company turn cheese waste into cheese taste. Cheese paste? Cheese something good. They collected the excess cheese from their production line that they use for their cheese wheel products, and they made that extra cheese into dip for chips. It might sound gross, but it's not, and you shouldn't think that. It's the kind of thing we've got to do to reduce food waste. Here in beverages, you'll also notice a number of dairy alternative milks. Uh, made from nuts or made from flax or made from peas. Flax milk, walnut milk. Naturally, a lot of interest in, in other plant-based foods as well. Plant-based burgers, plant-based cheeses, plant-based yogurts, uh, that type of thing. And you thought you were trendy and ahead of the curve. Matson was doing plant-based burgers 20 years ago. What about the packaging? Does Matson kind of do the whole consulting or the packaging is totally up to the consumer? Well, it's up to the, the manufacturer and ultimately the consumer as well. Matson has supported our clients over the years in, in packaging design. It is not an area of focus for us at this point in time. 
The selection of packaging is something that does play into food formulation. You know, it affects the type of food you design, its storability, taste, ingredients. That can all influence the way the packaging is designed. Matson doesn't always work on that, but it is a good thing that the engineers think about. You see specifically with their first compostable packaging that came out, how it doesn't keep products as airtight. So products were going bad at a faster rate than expected and not meeting shelf life. So sometimes those considerations need to be made and we'll take in consideration other items such as modified atmosphere packaging. So if we're able from the beginning to know we can formulate with MAP, that's great because then we can leave out preservatives or shelf life extenders. And we'll know that as a guardrail in development and benchtop. So that is actually true through execution and to the consumer. Okay, we're walking through a hallway with more shelves and their mission on the wall, which is we invent the future of food one product at a time. If you need a narrator at any time. No. <laughs> <laughs> This one might be of interest to working with this company, whether it's safe sourcing or regenerative agriculture, as you see that becoming really important to the consumer and finding a way that this one also hits a bunch of other trends of Whole30, paleo, grain and gluten free, um, but being really allergen conscious as well as sourcing conscious. We're looking at some chowders and some soups, (laughs) sustainable chowder, sustainable soup. On our last stop, we arrived at Matson's pilot plants, where food products happen. Me? Uh, all right, so here is our food service pilot plant, part one. This is our dry pilot plant. Um, as you can see along the wall, there's a variety of equipment here. Some of these we source in from our clients, so they'll provide us their proprietary special equipment that we then use to formulate with and make sure that Our formulations will actually match their future baking process. Um, We'll also produce samples in here for a variety of consumer needs, um, our clients' needs, and we have pretty much every equipment possible to take new approaches at testing different techniques and creatively thinking about novel ways to explore new baking or preparation. We're looking at the dry plant, which looks, um, to my untrained eye, sort of like a kitchen. Some some heating elements and some spinning elements and a lot of a lot of steel. Looks clean. All right, so here we can poke our hat in, but we can't go all the way in. Um, this is our wet plant. So in this area, we have what we call a microthermics machine, which processes ultra-high temperature and pressure oh here comes some food or something like food (laughs) (laughs) and or i believe they're making ice cream right now um so we can process all protein beverages so benchtop doesn't exactly replicate that so we have a machine which i believe is around thirty thousand dollars or so in order to replicate what would actually happen at a plant trial and scale up we also have steam jacketed kettles, ice cream machines, um, steam baths all along the side. And those will do a variety of different tests. One of them before was testing coffee can explosions that was happening for a while <laughs> to make sure that the undercarbonation, it could actually survive heat transportation and that we are developing to minimize losses in supply chain. We don't want our coffee exploding. No, that would be a bad thing. This is good news. Okay, leaving the wet lab. It looked like the dry lab, but more wet. 
Okay, now we're walking into the office part. Yeah. And we're walking, <laughs> walking into Al's office. All right, the tour's over, and it's a good time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Maddie and Al about food and the W word, which is waste. Just so we're clear. Okay. Do 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 do. Do you like learning things? Well, good news. Waste Not Why Not is a part of a podcast network and company called Ghost Island Media. If you want to learn more about Taiwan, you can listen to The Taiwan Take, where we talk about current affairs. And by we, I mean other people on network, not me. But you can listen to that show and learn about baseball, trade, impacts of coronavirus. You can learn about the Taiwan elections. You can dig deep on Taiwan. Where else are you going to hear about Taiwan? Nowhere. You're going to hear about it on the Taiwan take. What about metal? Do you like heavy metal music? Do you like Freddie Lim, who's a metalhead politician? Then you're going to really like metalhead politics, where Freddie and Emily, who was on this West Coast tour with me, talk about metal music and politics. It's dope. I actually listened to it. They didn't tell me to do this ad plug. I actually enjoy the show. And you will too. So go listen to Taiwan Take and Metalhead Politics. Go on, listen to them. You'll like them. And if you don't, just keep listening to this show. All right, back to our interview with Maddie and Al. In this next part, we're going to talk about food waste, meat alternatives, sustainability, packaging. We're going to talk about how you can design food to be more sustainable, or if that's even possible. Let's get started. <laughs> okay, cool. So should we just get started with some questions? I think uh, we asked one uh, question earlier about why, why is why is Matt's in here? Why are we in Silicon hmm. Valley? It's the perfect spot for yeah, everything it is. happening. Uh, I think it just happened to be the place where our founder, P. Matson lived. That said, it turned out, in hindsight, to be the perfect place. It is this confluence of the Silicon Valley and the spirit of innovation, the activism that you get from across the Bay in Berkeley, the aspiration from Napa, and all of the, uh, the biotech and uh, new way of thinking about food that comes from South San Francisco as well. So if we were starting Matson again from scratch and could pick anywhere in the country to be, this is probably where it would be. That's great. And so that kind of puts you in the perfect place to connect with the trend of meatless alternatives, more sustainable food, zero waste. How have you seen growing interest in meat alternatives uh, develop and, and how do you see that developing into the future? There are a couple of drivers. Consumers are looking for foods that are lighter, for foods that are healthier, for foods that are friendlier from an animal welfare standpoint, and for foods that are more sustainable. So when it comes to meats, plant-based meats are described as providing a, a lighter feeling. Consumers say they don't feel as weighed down. And in terms of more sustainable for the world, uh, we know that it will become more and more difficult to feed humans with animals. Having said that, plant-based isn't the only solution. There are different ways of creating meat products from animals in a different way by cultivating the cells of the animal and creating meats that are in every other way the same as, as animal source meats, but without slaughtering the animal in the way it's done today. So that's lab-grown food or lab-grown meat. Is there like a technical term that, that you prefer? Uh, the, the word we use is cultivated meat. And we often draw the analogy to propagated plants. When you think about plants, you can take a cutting of a healthy plant and put it in a fertile environment and watch it grow. So that host plant remains healthy and the, seed, the propagated seedling is healthy and you have a whole new plant. That's the way we think about cultivated meats as well. You take a cell from a healthy animal and you put it in a fertile environment and you grow it. I mean, ultimately, sometimes you hear the word cell-based. 
The fact is, everything, whether it be plant from a plant or or, or an animal, is cell based. So there's kind of a you, you might be able to summarize and say there's a growing consumer preference for just these balanced diets, these lighter diets. It's not necessarily that everyone is becoming a hardcore vegan. It's just that people want maybe less meat. They want to yeah exactly. They want less meat, and the good news is there there are lots and lots of good options for them more than they've ever been. For me, I rarely eat red meat. I honestly can't remember the last time that I purchased it, but I'll go for at the grocery store if I'm feeling like maybe a meat option, go explore the plant-based options first and see what catches my eye there. I'll go for plant-based bacon also because I found one that I just really like the taste of. So finding ways that just personally speaking, that's one way I'm hopefully <laughs> reducing my carbon footprint by choosing these options. Has has working at Matson kind of changed the way you look at food or were you, were you already looking at food in this kind of critical way before you came here? Um, it has definitely advanced how I think of food. I think just coming to Matson, you already had to have that critical eye and passion there. But exploring and also having other people challenging your taste buds and challenging new product ideas and all regularly get into friendly disputes with coworkers over what is better for what reasons, whether it's health or sustainability and encouraging each other to try new items and also growing an appreciation for those things that I probably previously wouldn't have explored on my own or it would have taken me longer to get to that point. Okay, cool. Let's move into sustainability. So there's a lot of discussion about food waste. Food waste is a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, water loss, just general waste and logistics issues. What is Matson doing with food waste? How are you able to turn maybe food waste isn't the right word, maybe like pre-loved food. I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure what the technical term is, but but how do you make this this food that someone else was near into food that someone else can enjoy? I like that you pointed that out because food waste is one of those terms that often makes consumers hesitant. And I think it's important that when talking about food waste, you're really talking about three different types of categories of food. You have what can be recovered and returned for immediate human consumption. Maybe that's surplus bread or surplus and imperfect produce. Then you have manufacturing waste areas. So that's where when you're making apple juice, you're going to have apple pulp left behind. And then your last areas are what we consider inedible food waste, and that's organic materials sent to end-of-life areas, whether it's anaerobic digestion, composting, or what we never want to do, landfill. So Matson's big area of focus is on that manufacturing portion and either helping our clients with the circular economy approach, figure out how not only to reduce that waste, but turn it into a value-added product. And then we also have done research in the upcycling area and figuring out how to get that in front of consumers in a way that's appealing. And it's not waste anymore. It's a value-added product. They're doing something sustainable. They're helping the environment. Uh, Even as Madison described it in manufacturing, what we're talking about is often byproduct, not waste. It's used to make foods that consumers are going to eat and enjoy, but there's nothing bad about this byproduct. The opportunity is to do something more productive with it. And that's where Matson comes in to help their clients re-envision every ingredient of their manufacturing process. Take blueberries. Acknowledge, okay, well, maybe your specs for this specific blueberry are too tight. There's no reason that a slightly larger blueberry or slightly offset blue is going to be non-favored by the consumer. Other times, it's taking these byproducts, such as 
apple pulp or maybe even almond meal left over from creating almond oil and finding a second home for them and also making sure that we're doing so mindfully in that whatever processing we're doing to that byproduct will not be too intensive and either lose the nutrient content because especially with pulps that's where they're really dense in nutrients and you have a lot of value there. So finding a way to get that value still to the consumer at the end point in also a sustainable way. <laughs> Madison made an important point here. The first goal should be to eliminate the byproduct in the first place. For example, Madison was working on a gluten-free bar product that created a lot of extra crumbs on the production line. Our solution there wasn't to find a better use for the crumbs, but to eliminate the crumbs in the first place. So we helped them reformulate those bars so they wouldn't be crumbling like that. So it, it sounds like there's, you know, maybe some explicit or implicit principles that you use when coming up with foods made from byproducts. Could you elaborate on what, what you keep in mind when you're thinking about making these foods? I think one thing to keep in mind is, you know, what nutrient value those byproducts have. So if we can take a residual ingredient uh, that happens to be high in fiber and turn it into a, a flour of some sort and incorporate that into the baked goods, we can deliver something consumers are seeking you know, higher fiber while using that byproduct or residual ingredient. That's pretty important. You're taking something that was sort of this inconsequential ingredient that's necessary for another product, and you're creating kind of a circular food economy. While we approach things because we have such broad experience in different categories and different applications, in the spirit of innovation, it's also to think creatively and think of ways that maybe it would be great fiber in a baked spot, but that doesn't mean don't try putting it in a beverage and see what happens. And taking that spirit of innovation to find optimal uses for those items. Creativity, innovation, minimizing the byproduct, trying to create value, trying to just make a good product in general, it sounds like. Even if it's great for the environment, people aren't going to want to buy it if it doesn't taste good. Just like podcasts. <laughs> I, I guess I just I kind of realized one other question would be, you know, how much how much have you seen sustainability become like a really strong preference maybe from your clients or from consumers? Well, I can go on a little tangent if you have the time. So we talked a bit about consumer preference and plant-based, but there's actually a growing consumer preference also for sustainable foods and specifically upcycling. We've done proprietary research on consumer facing not only terminology and presentation, but also getting their viewpoint on the feedback. So we've seen from our research that one, there's a lot of consumer misconception on where waste actually exists. So first education, which you see large companies like Kroger's taking a bunch of initiative there and put it in front of the consumer and are taking risks in that area to have those sustainable items up front. Specifically with upcycling, we had a national study that showed that over 57% are looking to purchase more upcycled items in the next several years and that they are interested in finding out more information in the sustainable food space and that consumers are also relying on manufacturers to take those changes so whether it's things like 2030 and food waste champions for people reducing and these companies taking large pledges that now they have 10 years to meet those goals to smaller initiatives are not small but 
The state of California, for instance, has two major food laws passing, SB 1383 for food waste reduction, as well as SB 1355, I believe, for sustainable packaging to where by 2022, all food service providers have to have recyclable or compostable packaging for the state or else they will be fined. So you're seeing one consumers driving that, and that can either be through logos like regenerative agriculture or having other companies like really putting that forward and being a driving factor as well as having now government stepping in and having a larger role just like the FDA EPA came together to put together a larger national effort in order to reduce food waste and also target not just the upcycling and consumer facing products but also ways to get food recovery more supported and different end-of-life solutions further advanced. So is, is Matson also participating in this policy process or like NGOs, community groups kind of having um, this discussion or is this just purely amongst yeah. other corporations? Um, so Matson was the first associate member of the Upcycled Food Association, which is a new nonprofit looking to advanced upcycle foods, specifically in packaged and consumer facing areas. They're have a coalition of a bunch of really great companies either that have packaged goods on the market or are ingredient suppliers in the space and they're working to find ways to get consumer facing terminology out there in a friendly way so we're not using the w word but a more appetizing word so we're involved with them as well as we have our own proprietary research that we work on so we're staying ahead in the space and we can also relay that information to our clients and have our clients be informed on ways that they can have a way um, reducing their waste and that can be something as simple as having a library of upcycled ingredients that I've started whenever we have a new upcycled product so that people, even if they're not looking to develop a sustainable product, have these sustainable options on hand to test in their formulation so that maybe they can sub in a sustainable item over the conventional one. I just saw one last fun tip. We like to end the episodes with, you know, just like something people can do, something people can take home. Since yeah. since you work on food waste, what's like one easy tip that, that listeners could take home to kind of lower their own impact at home? Oh, shopping probably shopping smartly it's such an easy one um and one that i think people overlook but there's been some really interesting studies on purchase habits in that we as consumers just want to buy what we see in store so we'll buy those extra berries and we'll buy those extra items and then never end up eating it or we aspirationally will get to it and we don't. So I would just challenge you, make those leftovers taste good and find new ways to eat your food. I now eat my strawberries with all of the tops, greens and all on them because it really tastes good and you don't notice. <laughs> that way you have no waste at the end. Waste not your strawberry tops. Why not eat them? Exactly. Thank you so much, Alan Madison from Matson, for uh, speaking with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time and showing us around your lab, showing us around your foods and explaining so much about um, the, the W word and uh, ways we can kind of uh, make food more, more sustainable and more delicious. Yeah, thank you for coming. Well, that's it for our interview with Mal and Addie and for our tour of Matson. I think it's a really special opportunity that we got to go inside of a food company, see how they design food, and ultimately how that relates to sustainability. The main thing I want everyone to take away from this episode is, you know, be like Maddie. 
she's the only food waste person at Matson. Other employees at Matson kind of refer to her as the recycling lady. You can be that champion in your office and make a change. Maybe it's small, maybe it's large, but you can make changes in your communities, in your place of work. Just be like Maddie. Turn food waste into food. Wow. All right. That's it for Nature Nate. Bye-bye. I'm Nature Nate, and this has been the Waste Not, Why Not podcast, recorded in a really dope food lab in Silicon Valley, and then later recorded in a hot room in a Bitcoin exchange called MyCoin in Taipei, Taiwan. (sighs) It's hot today. Do you have a question for us? Email your voice recording at ask at wastenotwhynot.com. Someone did it, and we answered their question. You can too. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Give us a good rating. Support us on Patreon. We are Waste Not Why Not on Patreon and Facebook and Waste Not Pod on Twitter. This has been a Ghost Island Media production. This episode was produced and written by Emily Y. Wu and myself, Nature Nate. Edited by Yu Chun Lai. Brand designed by Thomas Lee. Special thanks to Matson for letting us come by and for showing us all your cool food. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. you cook for your interview i believe i was the first person to ever cook this i cooked a brunch item because my interview was in the morning i did a deconstructed bloody mary salad with some celery as the base as well as pickled tomatoes and bloody mary seasonings and my second course was a not cooked sunny side up egg with a meringue and acid cooked egg yolk, as well as a toasted bagel with salmon mousse for lox. And my last course, because I had a food waste startup before working here full time, so I shared with them the final formulation of my food waste product. Well, if you ever need help eating some of those uh, interview foods, let me know. We'll come back.